is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. 2021 is coming to a close and the civil liberties challenges that dogged us throughout this year will no doubt follow us into 2022. So as I do every year at this time, I talked with Reggie Shuford, ACLUPA's executive director, about the year that was and the year that's ahead. We covered a lot of ground, including the increasingly urgent need to defend democracy and the evolving effort to create a criminal legal system that is fair and, frankly, not so damn racist. Reggie also explains ACLUPA's newest three-year strategic framework and what that means for the organization. If you're a member or supporter or ally or just someone who cares about civil liberties, I think you'll find Reggie's insights inspiring and constructive. We recorded this conversation on December 9th. Well, Reggie, thanks again for this annual discussion and the opportunity to sit down and talk about what 2021 has been like and maybe do a peek ahead to 2022. It's always great to to have these conversations with you. I'm glad we get the chance to talk. Yeah, thank you, Andy. I always look forward to to these as well. And when I have the opportunity to think a bit about what we've done, uh, it's always kind of the same answer, which is we've been very, very, very busy. Um, and so I look forward to kind of reflecting on some of those things, but also just making sure that folks who are listening understand that there's still a lot ahead to do as yeah. well. So you are constantly interfacing with key stakeholders, people who are invested in the organization invested in time, invested in money, you're talking with donors, um, you are regularly regularly interacting with our board of directors, uh, you're talking with ally organizations. And I'm gonna ask you the question, this is always the first question in the, the, this uh, year-end podcast, what are you telling these folks about the work of the ACLU of PA in this moment? You know, I have to say the answer typically is the same too. Like you asked the question as our opening question each time. And my answer typically is the same, which is that we've really, really been very, very busy and um, pandemic or not, we haven't, we haven't missed a beat. I mean, the work goes on. It's important that it go on. Um, and it's been just as effective as pre-pandemic. Um you know, we have a great team at the ACLU of Pennsylvania, right? People take their jobs very, very seriously and they do it really, really well. And so I'm quite proud, not only of the kind of quality of the work and I acknowledge the volume of it too, it's not slowed down in any way, um, but that people also made that transition from in-office work to working at home fairly seamlessly. That was not a given. I think the organization did quite a bit to ensure that that transition would work for people. uh, And we continue to do that. Um, But people by and large adjusted quite well. And um, that allowed them to continue to do our work at a high level, um, you know, now going on almost two years. And incredibly, this was a year when we had highly unusual circumstances at the United States Supreme Court. Yeah, and you know, it's it's something of note when uh, an organization gets one case, like before the United States Supreme Court, right? That is not a given. 
the ACLU of Pennsylvania, in fact, had two big cases uh, at the Supreme Court this year. Um, you know, one of them was a huge victory for students' rights um, for free speech off campus. It was called BL, the Mahanoy Area School District. Um, and in that case, just a little bit of background, a ninth grade student posted a profanity on Snapchat while she was off campus at a convenience store with a good friend after she found out that she had not made the varsity cheerleading team. Well, the cheerleading coach found out um, and the student was suspended from the junior varsity cheerleading team for a year. Uh, she sued and was reinstated, but the school district kind of would not go away. Uh, they appealed all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I'm happy to say that they lost at every level, that we won at every level. And in fact, the, the school, uh, the Supreme Court um, issued an opinion that I think is important in this age of modern technology um, uh, and social media that is so prevalent but just kind of underline a really fundamental um, precept when it comes to students' rights to free speech. Uh, and, the, and the Supreme Court said that the school itself has an interest in protecting a student's unpopular expression, especially when the expression takes place off campus. America's public schools are the nurseries of democracy. So we were delighted to have the court um, lift up that longstanding precedent um, and we're really happy with that with that victory. The other case, you know, not quite not quite as successful. Uh, and that case was called Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. It wasn't a win, as I said, but if you're going to lose, it's as good a loss as you can kind of get. And what I mean by that is that the Supreme Court rejected um, a blanket license to discriminate against LGBT uh, individuals. This case concerned Catholic Social Services, um, which sued the city of Philadelphia for refusing to work with Catholic Social Services because the agency would not license same-sex couples as foster parents. Uh, Catholic Social Services argued that it had a broad right to discriminate based on religion, but the court rejected that. Uh, the court ruled narrowly that the city improperly canceled the contract with Catholic Social Services um, because the contract allowed for individual exemptions for agencies. And the only issue in this case was that that opportunity for an exemption was not extended to CSS. So the court ruled very narrowly um, on the basis of that contract and did not, in fact, license a broad um, ability on behalf of religious institutions to or others to discriminate based on religion. And so we we were lucky. We felt like we were pretty lucky with that outcome. And at a time when the U.S. Supreme Court is getting a lot of attention for how divided and perhaps um, it is leaning a particular direction um, with a more conservative bent. Uh, it's noteworthy that those cases, the BL case was an eight to one ruling and the Fulton case was nine to zero. So we're, we are going to talk a little bit about the court in a few minutes, but um, I think it is noteworthy that the court overwhelmingly found uh, the, 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 the decisions that it reached in those two cases. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know that we can continue to expect such 
broad consensus on the court. I think um, we're going to be headed, and we'll talk about this in a bit, headed into areas where there's not <laughs> such consensus and uh, and perhaps even more controversial, controversial areas. So yep. we will see. Uh, so 2021 feels like the sequel to 2020. We're still feeling the reverberations of 2020. Um, in your view, what are the biggest civil liberties issues heading into 2022? You know, in some respects, it's the same old <laughs> civil liberties issues that we have been uh, dealing with over the past several years. Um Think about voting rights, for example, right? That's always an evergreen issue. There's extremists who are trying to deny the right to vote, at least for certain uh, groups of people. Um, that, you know, seems to be inspiring even private citizens, right, to get involved uh, in kind of um, undermining people's right to vote. And and all of these efforts to suppress the right to vote, they run counter, right, to the promise of our state and our federal constitutions. When you think of the big lie that was um, propagated uh, uh, in 2020 um, about voter fraud, um, and you think about, you know, the, the attack on the nation's capital on January 6th, which still to me blows my mind how we were able to see that in real time and that it was happening right in, in 2021 um right and that attempt to overturn the will of the people it just makes it very clear that our democracy continues to be under attack right and it's not going to protect itself it's going to take all of us organizations like the aclu but certainly private citizens um to protect and preserve and save our democracy um those fights are going to continue so voting rights will always be um, a top priority for the organization. Um, also, you know, think about criminal legal reform and the work that we've been doing in that arena for many, many years at this point. Um, you know, the bottom line is that too many people go to jail. Uh, those people are disproportionately black and brown. Um, you know, it's been said, I certainly have said it, but America is addicted to incarceration. Um, and with that addiction, as in any other type of addiction, there is um, serious harm uh, done to individuals, um, families, and entire communities that are devastated. Um, you know, as folks who care about human beings, um, I think incarceration should be the last resort and, and not the first. Um, and there are there are a number of things that are embedded in our criminal justice system that drive incarceration, you know, cash bail that keeps poor people incarcerated pre-trial, right? Which means that even before there is a determination of, of or any adjudication of their guilt, right? And despite the fact that they're presumed innocent until proven guilty, um, they are still nonetheless incarcerated, sometimes for months on end because they cannot afford cash bail. Likewise, technical violations of probation and parole um, land people in jail. So there's so much advocacy that are happening in those areas, that is happening in those areas, and um, that you know, we need to continue um, doing. Policing is another issue that uh, we need to be expecting to continue to do uh, important work. 
Um, you know, I mentioned just before that um, black and brown people are disproportionately incarcerated. Likewise, they're disproportionately um, policed. Um, and there are far too many examples and we have time to name of those encounters often turning deadly. And then thinking about how sometimes um, policing itself kind of inspires would be and vigilantes to kind of take matters in their own hands. Like you think about what happened with Ahmaud Arbery. Um, you know, also like incarceration, I, I think that police should be the last resort as opposed to the first resort. But they're conspicuous in our society. Like they're, they're, they're really everywhere. We call upon them to solve too many of society's problems, um, situations if they don't have the proper training, right? They shouldn't be the ones necessarily responding to mental health crises or the ones that educators turn to to handle minor disciplinary issues in our schools. Fundamentally, I think we need to reimagine the role of police in American society. And I think that means they should have a smaller footprint rather than a yep. the one as large as it currently is. You know, we talked, um, this is another issue, we talked earlier about the um, kind of the nature of our current Supreme Court uh, that seems to be trending in a, in a direction that I personally think runs counter to um, American values and, and civil liberties. Um, and what I, this particular issue I'm talking about is abortion access. Like voting, it seems to always be under serious threat by, I call them ideologues um, who are relentless and who currently view uh, the Supreme Court as it's now con configured as allies and their effort to deny, to deny this most important American, uh, this important right that the most Americans support. You know, what we see happening in Mississippi and Texas, I think is just the tip of the iceberg. I think other places are waited with are waiting with bated breath, you know, po poised to follow suit depending on how the Supreme Court rules. Um, and just as with um, mass incarceration and as with policing, poor people and, and black and brown people, um, you know, will suffer will suffer the most. Uh, other areas I'll talk about um, just to wrap up. I don't want to be too doom and gloom because we are actually doing important work to push back against um, some of these issues is trans transgender discrimination is another issue. Um, and if you know you pay close attention to it, what we see is this deadly pandemic um, of murders of, of black trans women uh, in particular. Um, I think we need to decriminalize sex work. And we also need to ensure that trans students have access to the full range of educational opportunities, right? Including the right to complete in, in high school sports, right? We know how important competing athletically can be for people and um, there should be no difference when it comes to just trans students. Uh, and then finally, uh, we talk about education and so much of who we are is a result of what we've been taught and what we've learned uh, over time, particularly in school. And just as we were taught some things, we were not taught other things. Uh, and one of those things is the true history and true story of America's origins and American history, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, 
And I think really the only way that we can make progress on America's most entrenched problems, including racism and white supremacy, is to learn about these things and the impact that they have had on our society and that they continue to have on our society. I think that ignorance merely perpetuates those issues. It doesn't help to resolve them. It, it further entrenches them. Uh, that's a lot. And I do want to note that um, each of those issues that you've discussed, we actually have had podcast episodes on, I think, every single one over the last year. So I definitely encourage anybody listening to this to go back and uh, check out our, our podcast feed, either on, on a podcast app or on our website, ACLUPA.org, because we've, we've done some deep dives with uh, ACLUPA staff as well as uh, some of our clients and some of our allies on the issues you've talked about. And those the podcasts, as I recall, because I make sure I listen to every single one, I think they're <laughs> that excellent. Uh, they include solutions to all of these problems, right? We want to make sure that people feel like there's something to be done in each of these areas, and, and there absolutely is. And those podcasts kind of demonstrate what people can do in their individual capacities um, to be part of the fight, I mean, because it's essential that they are. Well, and to that point, you said you didn't want to be doom and gloom. Uh, you know, we have challenges for sure. I do worry a bit that people who are of like mind as we are at the ACLU think that backsliding is inevitable. But I come to this work with the idea that the future is unwritten. Um, and so with that in mind... Um, both, uh, do, do you feel like we've made progress on these issues, um, whether it be over the short term or the long term? Um, and you mentioned solutions. I mean, what if somebody listening to this, um, maybe sitting there thinking, wow, it sounds really challenging, um, what can they do? I think we have made progress, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that kind of the, the nature and extent of the challenges that we do face in these areas, right? I mean, they are real. And that's all the more reason, as you said, that we should be engaged in this fight. Like I, I've said, I've often said that you can't win the fight unless you're in the fight, right? You can absolutely lose it, but if you're yeah. not in it, then you can't win it. And, I, and it just reminds me of, honestly, I'll go back a, a couple of years, like to 2016. After the 2016 presidential election, a lot of people were demoralized and discouraged and um, very anxious about the future. And, you know, given the threat to civil rights and civil liberties, I justifiably so. But one of the things that allowed me to get up every single day was that there was something I could do to fight back. So every day I went to work, I was like, I could, like, I'm. I'm not just sitting on my, my couch, kind of um, gritting my teeth and uh, being paralyzed by fear and anxiety. Like I can fight back. And, um, and that helped me, frankly, to deal with some of that anxiety, just to be able to, to fight. So um, I think that we have, to your question, I think we have made progress. I wanna be honest though and say that we still have a long way to go. Um, you know, our founder, Roger Baldwin, famously said, the ACLU's founder, Roger Baldwin, famously said, no fight for liberty ever stays won. And I think for students of history, we, we see that. We see progress followed by retrenchment and backlash. Progress, retrenchment, and backlash, right? But that backlash and that retrenchment 
can be contained, right? They could both, they could be worse, right? If we were not involved in the fight. So we, I don't think we have a choice. I think if we want a future that is promising at all for, for future generations and our, and, our, and our kids and our grandkids, we got to do the work to make it so. Um, but, but so we have to be in the fight, you know, that's the only way that our, the progress that we have made will continue and be preserved and that we won't in fact go backwards. Um, you know, um, again, the, the issues that we've talked about, they're gonna keep us busy, right? I mean, so the ACLU reached a hundred years a, a, a year ago, and I don't think that we're in uh, any jeopardy of, of, of closing shop anytime soon. Um, but I think there are solutions, and I think those solutions are best when we are working together from different sectors, the public interest, the private sector, individuals are coming together, they're remaining vigilant around these issues, and they're continuing to be engaged in the fight. Like they are involved in advocacy, taking to the streets sometimes, calling their elected officials, um, supporting financially organizations like the ACLU and our allies who are doing this work day in and day out, like on the ground. Um, so I think one thing that the public should always be always be doing, right, is um, making sure that they're aware of the work of advocates like the ACLU and individuals, um, supporting that work and responding to um, calls for engagement, which includes holding um, elected officials accountable, you know, by reaching out to them. We, we make it pretty easy, easy to do that. Um, and, and they also, they should just be, you know, following organizations on social media, checking out their websites, and you know, and responding to all the ways that they can be supportive of of the work that we're doing. Yeah, what you said about being in the fight just reminded me of the famous James Baldwin quote that not all things that are faced can be changed, but nothing uh, can be changed unless it is faced. Amen. Uh, and that's it's the, really it's the same thing, isn't it? Yep. Yep. That's part of being in the work. Yeah. Um, you know, outcomes are unknown, um, but we work to get to particular outcomes. So at the end of last year, speaking of outcomes, um, ACLUPA was still in the middle of its strategic planning process, and we now have a strategic framework for 2021 through 2024 that was approved by the board of directors in June. And I think our supporters listening to this will appreciate knowing that the organization is working on both external issues and internal processes. So with that in mind, um, what are some of the key components from the strategic framework that you think our supporters should know about? Whew, that was a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> and the, as you know, the entire organization was involved for a year and a half or so. Yep. Um, uh, working on the strategic plan and bringing it to a conclusion and not obviously implementation uh, is critically important. But, you know, I want to give us credit for even, you know, getting it done. Like, remember, we were doing this and I know you remember very well. You were there every step of the way, but we were doing this in a pandemic where we were obviously working from home remotely uh, in the midst of a, an extraordinarily uh, anxiety-provoking um, uh, presidential election, um, uh, and also in the middle of civil unrest, right? So there's a lot of people are on the edge. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it played out, right, as we were talking about these issues uh, internally. And so, 
Yeah, I think we believe that what we demand by way of values and accountability externally, uh, we demand of ourselves internally as well. So just a couple of components of the, the strategic plan that I'm actually quite, quite, quite pleased with the, with the end product. So one is a recommitment to ABIDE, right? ABIDE is an acronym that I coined that stands for Authentic Belonging, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity. We want all of our colleagues to feel valued, that they bring something to the table that is respected, that they belong, right? Um, so a recommitment to ABIDE. Uh, and then, you know, three priorities. We, we discussed a laundry list of, of issues that we expect to see in 2022. Um, but we've prioritized those issues. And so the three major priorities are decarceration, like reducing the number of people in jails, prisons and detention centers. You know, the bottom line is that not everybody who is incarcerated should be incarcerated. Um, another area is police reform, which is, I think our, our ultimate goal as we think about reimagining the police and this and reducing this, this footprint uh, in, our, in our society, in our country. Um, one of the ways that we think we can achieve that is by minimizing um, the police and other law enforcement interaction with black and brown communities. So many of those kind of basic, basic encounters kind of spiral way out of control. Um, and then a, a third major priority is um, protecting and expanding voting rights. Um, but, you know, we also recognize that we can't get our work accomplished merely based on the 35, 36, 37 staff colleagues that, that we have, right? Quite a bit of what we do um, includes um, members and volunteers um, from all walks of life and in all areas. Um, you know, pro bono lawyers are just are one thing, but you have members who um, want to help in, in the various ways that they can. Our board of directors are all volunteers, like they don't get paid, right? And so we want to make sure that we are utilizing that desire of our members and volunteers to help us achieve our mission. And so we, we recommitted, right, to a vision for, for how they can go about doing that. And importantly, organizational culture, right? And we need the culture that I said that where people belong, um, you know, that we are living internally, the values that we preach externally, um, that involves better internal communication and collaboration, um, and also uh, a more um, effective organizational structure, if you will. So just remembering that um, after the, 2016 presidential election, um, our organization experienced exponential growth. You know, people were concerned, afraid, anxious. And so many people turned to the ACLU as the watchdog of civil liberties um, and in support of us and, and for answers too. Um, and so we grew really, really quickly. I think we did not quite have systems and infrastructure in place to best manage that growth. And so we're working on creating those systems now uh, and our strategic planning process enabled us to identify the need to do that and some, some um, steps towards, uh, towards doing that. 
I want to go back to the three priority issues for just a moment, because if someone listening to this might hear those issues and say, yeah, those issues are really important. I also care about X, Y, Z issues. Um, and I think it's important to note as well that we, we wrote that framework in a way that we will recognize that we're going to spend a majority of our time on those three issues, but still giving ourselves space for other potential um, issues that could come up. So, you know, we talked about abortion access as a good example. Um, we know right now that Governor Wolf will veto any restrictions to abortion. Um, we do have a gubernatorial election in 2022 here in Pennsylvania. So the dynamics could change depending upon the outcomes of the legislative and uh, gubernatorial election. So there is room in the strategic framework while we are prioritizing voting rights, decarceration and policing, and we will spend a majority of our time working on those three issues, which those three alone are massive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is still other, there is still room for other emerging issues. And I think it's important for things like abortion access, LGBTQ discrimination, um, immigration beyond the detention issue, which also fits into our incarceration priority. So um, I want and free speech, of course, um, yeah. like the bedrock of the ACLU. So um, do want to make that point as well, that we have recognized that we need some flexibility. Absolutely. Thank you for, for saying that. And, then, and so we care about those other issues, too. You know, we just recognize that um, constraints uh, and, and on our resources and finances and all, all of those things, just, and, uh, just also in constraints on the size of the organization and staff capacity that we do have to, to prioritize these in a way that will allow us to make meaningful progress on them. But we absolutely care about those other issues. And, you know, at the very beginning of, of our conversation, Andy, we talked about like two cases of, at the ACLU of Pennsylvania going to the Supreme Court. And one of those was a free speech case. The other was an LGBT. So, so absolutely, we care about those other issues for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I asked you this last year, and I'll ask you again. How are you feeling about the state of democracy right now? Well, um, you know, I it's you know it's it's under attack. It continues to be under attack, uh, and we cannot take our democracy for granted. As imperfect as it is, I think it's a beautiful thing, right? I think we have to fight to protect. Uh, and preserve it, I think, over the past year. In fact, past several years, right? We we've seen it challenged and attacked, and it it you know withstood some of some of those challenges. But but it's not immune to being damaged. Um, and so that calls upon all of us to do what we can to protect our democracy. It it requires it, it needs it. Um, and it's again, it's not going to protect itself. And I think it's Honestly, I don't know that it's any different from what has happened in American history. It's always needed. It's always been imperfect, but it's always needed to needed to be protected. And you know, in that regard, it's, it's more a marathon than a sprint. So, what is ahead in 2022? Well, we're going to drill down on our priorities. As I said, we invested <laughs> a lot of time and energy and resources and sweat equity. Um, into coming up with the strategic plan that we, I think we, we feel really good about and we want to drill down on those priorities. If we are to make meaningful change in Pennsylvania over the next three years, then we've got to 
um, do what we can around decarceration and police reform and voting rights. Um, so we want to implement our strategic plan. We want to, again, make sure that our organizational culture reflects our values around uh, uh, belonging and, and, and inclusion and diversity and equity. Uh, we want to be working as a team uh, more collaboratively but with better communication uh, systems. So all of those things, we want to make sure that we have the right people and organizational structure to uh, best achieve our mission. Um, and we're going to be working to make sure we have adequate financial resources to do the work um, that we've talked about today, right? Um, you know, we, we need people to, to give, we need people to support our work, um, and we, we try to make that as easy as possible for people to do by visiting our website at aclupa.org. Uh, and then also we need people to, um, to be civically engaged, right? We need them to vote in every election, not just the national ones, not just every four years for the, pres for the president of the United States. And, and we need them to be consistently, right? Holding uh, elected officials accountable. Um, and there are a number of ways, again, that they can do all of these things um, in terms of their support of the organization that they can find on our website. Uh, one example is an advocate academy um, where our legislative uh, department, uh, those colleagues kind of teach pe people how to um, you know, lobby their, their legislators. And so we have training programs for that and just a number of other things that they can do as well. But, but yeah, yeah. Well, Reggie, thanks so much for your time. I always appreciate, like I said at the beginning, I always appreciate these end of year uh, conversations. Uh, but more importantly, thank you for your leadership. I think I can speak for the staff and our board and everyone who cares about the ACLU of Pennsylvania that uh, everyone appreciates uh, everything you do for this organization. I know you've said to me sometimes there are sleepless <laughs> nights. <laughs> Uh, you deserve a break uh, for sure, um, but I know many, many people uh, appreciate everything you do for the ACLU and for civil liberties. Well, thank you, Andy. I um, I feel really um, fortunate to be able to answer my my call to do this work with such an amazing team of people. Like I feel honored every day to be working with, and it's such a supportive board as well. Um, and I am optimistic at the end of the day, right? And I'm optimistic because again, we're in the fight. We're just not sitting by idly letting things happen. Um, the ACLU has been around for a hundred years. It's not going anywhere. And we have really talented, committed, dedicated colleagues in Pennsylvania and beyond who will be working to solve some of these most entrenched issues. Um, and you know, we have a pretty good track record. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. And one last thing I have to mention, uh, we are recording this on December 9th, uh, but by the time this podcast is posted, it will be publicly known that City and State Pennsylvania has named you as one of the Philly Power 100, one of the most influential people in Philadelphia politics, nonprofits, and advocacy. Uh, Well-deserved. And in fact, I, when I said mention this to one of our staff members, um, they, they they thought it was a slam dunk that of course you should be on that list so congratulations uh, for that honor. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I I appreciate the recognition. It's not what I strive for. I strive for uh, having meaningful impact in people's lives, and I certainly wouldn't be able to do that or win any kind of awards without um, 
the great work of our staff and, and our colleagues. So All right. thank you. Great. Thanks, Reggie. Appreciate it. Okay. That's Reggie Schufert, Executive Director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania. You may be thinking about your year-end giving, and it's a great time to join the ACLUPA or renew your membership. Visit aclupa.org join for more information and to make your donation today. Your support keeps our work going. And that brings episode 69 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet, and our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, happy holidays, happy new year, be healthy, and be free.